0: welcome back everyone another episode of stoke hunters where we dive into the stories of those who look for stoke and make sure they have good days today we explore the adventurous soul of jackie the visionary behind summits for serotonin jackie is a formidable force and wants to become the first canadian women to complete the explorer's grand slam but her journey transcends physical accomplishments emphasizing mental fortitude and the profound impact of nature on our well-being through Summits for Serotonin, Jackie championships the connection between outdoor adventures and mental health, inspiring individuals to confront internal barriers and discover their inner strength. Let's welcome Jackie. Welcome, Jackie.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: (laughs) Good. How have things been?
1: Really good. That was quite the intro. That was lovely. Thank you.
0: I try. (laughs) Uh, It's always hard to figure out how I'm going to write it and everything. I usually have like brain farts and I've I've fortunately lost all my hair, so I can't lose any more hair to the stress of the intros, but I nice. think I'm I think I'm dialing it okay.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. That was that was great. I was like, oh wow, this is so so nice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I did like the Coles notes of like, you know, maybe like 30 seconds. Why don't yeah. you tell our listeners a little bit more about you and like, you know, your pursuits of activities and how it changed from, you know, maybe an adventure to then helping others.
1: For sure. So I mean, just so you don't you know, a little bit of comfort here. I have not perfected telling this story and um, I have quite a few brain farts while telling it myself. So we'll see how I do this time. (laughs) Uh, So I guess, hi, I'm Jackie, for those of you who don't know me. Um, And yeah, I uh, right now what I'm trying to do, well, so let's start, let's rewind to the start of this whole thing when I started the Summits for Serotonin project. So I started it um, two years ago now, I think (laughs) yeah, two years ago on my birthday, uh, I just had this idea that um, coming out of the pandemic, uh, I was getting a little bit more on my feet. Uh, I'm a personal trainer as my career. So the pandemic hit really hard for me. It was like pretty much unemployment and scraping by for a couple of years and just trying to like figure out direction for myself. and i hit quite a few low spots through that time where i really needed counseling and i didn't feel like counseling services were even realistic for me because i didn't even have a job so how was i gonna pay 220 an hour uh once a week for somebody to talk to and kind of help me go in the right direction and give me the school tools i needed to navigate the hardships i was facing and all the other things that life throws at you, whether it's relational or whatever. Um, and so then uh, coming out of the pandemic, I, as I was getting on my feet, I kind of, I don't know, it was like my birthday rolled around and I just was like, I want to do something. I really want to like set a good goal for myself this year. And I'm like, I really, I was turning 28. So I, I'm now 30. I just turned 30. <laughs> Woohoo, 30 Club. I'm actually quite excited, but it's bittersweet. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I just really, I don't know. I I don't know why, but I just, I really felt like I wanted to give back to a community that had supported me through those hard times. Um, So during the pandemic, when I couldn't afford counseling, uh, my mom had actually referred me to uh Cornerstone Counseling. So Cornerstone Counseling is one of our charity recipients right now, um, and they're, they're Edmonton-based and they serve Edmonton and all of northern Alberta, uh, and they're a charity that provides subsidized mental health care counseling. Um, and so in using their services, I was able to get, uh, I was able to see a student for $20 an hour. I did have the option of a fully certified counselor at $60 an hour, but that was still a little bit out of my budget at the time. So I chose to go with a student and I, I think I went for eight weeks consistently once a week. Um, and even just that, you know, it really helped me like ground myself and navigate the things that I was going through. And, you know, a lot of that stuff did revolve around just like, for me, the feelings of, uh, there's a lot of I've had some some grief in my life that I hadn't dealt with. And there was a lot of uh, shame around, like, not being successful as an entrepreneur. Um, both my parents have done, you know, really well for themselves. My dad's a really uh, successful entrepreneur. And I was like, I just had big goals for myself. And I felt like everything was kind of unwinding. And, like, the, the universe was just throwing stuff at me that was, like, not in my plan. And I didn't know how to handle that. Um, and so once I was back on my feet, I really... Just wanted to, for me, what was, I, I wasn't finding purpose in just the things I thought I wanted to do and I wanted to do a little bit more. Um, and I really just went zero to a hundred and throwing myself into uh, starting a nonprofit. I literally had the idea. I'm like, whatever, like, let's do it. This is like a good thing. I, it, like really excited me. Um, and part of my healing journey that led me to that too, was I spent a lot of time uh, in the backcountry, I, I wasn't like necessarily homeless by any means. Like I was living at my parents' house, but like I was, you know, 28 years old living at my parent. Well, I moved out at like 27 because I came back for college, but uh, I just didn't feel good. And I, so I would leave a lot. I'd go like spend weeks at a time living out of the backseat of my car and I would just be living out of trailheads and climbing mountains and like really pushing myself. And like all that time I spent... Um, It just gave me a lot of time for self-reflection. And so I kind of took all of those things and I wanted to put them together. And I was like, I want to start a nonprofit. I want to help people. I want to make all the things that help me more accessible for everybody else. Because I really think that, A, mental health resources are just not accessible at all. Like, especially where we live in Alberta. I I can't really like, I'm still a little bit unfamiliar with how it is everywhere else in the country, let alone, I'm sure it's even worse in a lot of other places in the world. But um, I think the society we live in, there's just a lot more stress and different things we have to navigate that I just don't think we've adapted to that navigation and we need help. And it's been, there's been a lot of division and I wanted to try and create a space of unity and love and A place where people can heal and encourage people to step out of their comfort zone because i think that's that's where we learn the most about ourselves and that's where you you get build that self-confidence that helps you navigate all of the mental health challenges that you might be facing so that's kind of how this (laughs) came about
0: (laughs) so it's been it's been a it's been a fast few years
1: Yeah. And to be honest with you, even, you know, as I just came up on my 30th birthday, I I did a lot of reflecting and I, I've always been somebody who's super ambitious. I set really high, crazy goals for myself. And it's been really hard because I don't feel like I've been able to even able to make the progress I've wanted to with it in the last couple of years, but there's still been so much progress that's been made, you know, like I really had this idea when I started it that I'd snap my fingers and, uh, I'd be, you know, raising all this money and the world would be so happy, but obviously that's not exactly how the world works. And so, (laughs) um, along the journey of, you know, starting the nonprofit and climbing these mountains, I've also just had to like continue to use those tools that I've learned and apply them to like the challenges that these new goals I've set for myself present. And, um, I really feel like i'm actually quite proud of myself because i've never been able to like reflect and just be proud of all the things i've accomplished so far and be a little less hard on myself about <laughs> maybe some of my shortcomings you know what i mean
0: yeah yeah 100 um yeah yeah definitely you know you, i can relate um I, yeah like especially with my mom where like you know hardship came in 17 days mm-hmm. how i've kind of taken it as you know hard like without hardship We don't have growth and there you know there's two ways we can do it and yeah sometimes it like sucks so much but it's like you know little baby steps help so much and like you said reflecting and being figuring out your purpose like it it makes life so much more enjoyable when you are like you know this is why i'm doing this nine to five or this is why i want to do this thing or you know we have, we have brain capacities way higher than, you know, animals that lift things up and pick them down or drop them down. So it's like, you know, maybe we should start using our brain power to figure out why we want to do something and go and do it
1: for sure. And I, 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 really, I really believe that we're the only people standing in our way of achieving those things and like applying the disciplines required to, you know, start businesses climb mountains, whatever it may be that, like, your goals are, it's just, like, we're the only people that stand in our own way of that. There's, you know, I I feel that in a big way with even what I'm trying to do, you know, I'm not, I wasn't, I'm not, you know, rolling in money, and these mountaineering expeditions are quite expensive, but I'll, like, it's something I really want to do, and thus far, you know, I've funded all my own expeditions and it took me sometimes working three or four jobs, but it's because it's something I feel really passionate about. And I know that if I gain enough momentum, I'll be able to leave a really good impact. And it's more about, you know, what you leave behind than what you you take with you when you go. Um, And I really want to leave behind a legacy of, you know, just living with love in your heart and like moving through life just with compassion and understanding and you know, I want to inspire people to love themselves because that's what allows you to love other people.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't it, it it's, uh, Ru- RuPaul who says in his drag race, if you can't love yourself, how are, how, how, the, how the hell are, we, are you
1: going to love anyone else? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is RuPaul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's true though. Right. And, um, Kind of what you said is like uh, kind of going back to what you said about your mom and it's those baby steps. And it just like instantly flicked that light of how many parallels there are for me about navigating mental health and navigating life and the process of climbing a mountain. Um, and I think actually you have that saying, how do you eat an elephant? Or Yeah. yeah, it? yeah how do you eat elephant?
0: Yeah. How do you eat an elephant? And it's, you know, one, one bite at a time.
1: One bite at a time. It's the same thing with climbing a mountain. It's like how do you climb a mountain. Well, one step at a time. And, you know, people think I'm crazy because I want to climb some of these mountains like Everest and Denali and, you know, get to the North and South Pole. And like, it seems crazy because you look at it like this one gigantic task. But if you break it down into all just the little things you need to do on the day to day, just... know one step at a time making sure you know you're taking care of yourself drinking your water making sure you're eating and being checking in with yourself being honest with yourself those are the same things that are required to navigate the different things that we face in life when it comes to mental health just you know slow down if you're if you need a second take that second be like okay self-check what do i need what do i need to do for me on the mountains you know sometimes i need to ask for a break or I'm like low on water. I need more electrolytes, whatever. And then in life, sometimes I just need to like take a day off. I need to, you know, process the emotion before I keep moving. And uh, I think that the mountains have given me a lot of the tools, like I said, I needed to heal and to be able to navigate uh, a little bit better going forward into my life and mature emotionally. So
0: well, especially when you you know you're out in nature and it's a lot quieter than being in a city. It's just you and your you and your mind out there.
1: For sure, and uh, you know, it's one of the things that I really want to tie in with the nonprofit, which is why I started running the retreats. Is I want to give people the opportunity where maybe. They wouldn't normally, on their own decide to do it. So we offer the free retreats because I want people to step out of that comfort zone and challenge themselves and get into that piece of nature where they just there's no there's no one knocking at your mental door or asking for your attention. All you need to do is focus on yourself um and the things you need to you need to work through. and um i, I I've had so many. <laughs> good cries and breakthroughs and breakdowns uh, <laughs> on hikes. Like I can't even tell you, it's it's not like a one-time thing. Um, I think just, you know, going out and there's something about nature, you know, that's where we were born to be. I, I really don't believe we're born to live in this weird suburbia we've developed
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. over time.
1: Uh, and I think that's fed into a lot of why we struggle so much, because we don't like we don't get any grounding in connection with, you know, our the earth. And I know that sounds very, very tree hugger of me, but I am a little bit of a tree hugger. So <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, earth was here before we were, so.
1: Yeah, exactly, and you know, there, there. It's not just like the hooey, gooey stuff either. There's, there's tons of research and science um, that's backing all this stuff about grounding and being in nature. Um, even with exercise, you know, like I'm a personal trainer, like I said, and I what all through college, I was struggling with depression then too, and I wrote many papers on how uh, consistent exercise, although it takes a little bit longer for it to take effect because you have to be disciplined and to have that commitment and consistency. It does have the same effect as a lot of the antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications, um, that get prescribed. And by no means am I like saying, don't go on medication. I've been on medication and it helped me when I really needed it, but it helped me get onto that routine that I needed where I didn't need to be on the medication forever. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. Um, Yeah. We've had breakthroughs in medicine. We've had breakthroughs in science. It's, you know, you got to do what you got to do to make your body feel good.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um,
0: Which should not lead to people wanting to do heroin or cocaine. So we'll go (laughs) make sure I profess that, like, you know, do what makes you feel good without uppers or anything like that, or, you know, drugs or, you know.
1: Exactly. And, you know, like, Adrenaline is a naturally producing drug, and I would highly recommend if anyone feels the need to go chase that. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> go mountain biking fast, or go skiing and jump. Yeah, off the floor, feel, feel it. We have, we have a, exactly. We have some athletes who chase the adrenaline a lot higher than me. Like we, we have base jumpers and stuff like that, and it's just wild what they'll do.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, even um, you know, I, I rock climb and I ice climb a little bit, and weirdly enough, like. I do still get nervous at heights. Like I think it's a very unnatural place for us to be. And so um, I like have a ton of respect for people like who are climbing these huge walls. Like I would never, I don't think I could ever go to Yosemite and do, you know, El Capitan or something like that. (laughs) I'm more of like a boulder. I like ice climbing a lot though. Um, But you, you know, like when you're in that zone of like where you feel life or death, I don't know. I feel, I feel a little extra alive in those moments. That's
0: for <laughs> <fair>. <laughs> Well, and I, I've kind of, you know, I don't know if it's true or not because, you know, I, I don't know if there's a bigger picture or this or that, but, yeah. you know, I think we all have our own time clock. Like I've done some stupid things that probably shouldn't, I shouldn't be here. Other people have done stupid things. Other people haven't done stupid things. And like, you know, the end is just there. It's like, so, you know, you might as well, do what makes you happy and you know go live a life because we don't know what happens after the lights go out
1: absolutely i i totally agree with that but i i also am big on mitigating risk because i mean deep down i'm a little bit of a scaredy cat and so so taking on these mountains for me is has been like really i mean it's built my confidence confidence up a ton because I just I never imagined I'd be able to say hey I've climbed Aconcagua and Kilimanjaro and I'm going to attempt these other mountains like I never thought I'd be in a position where I'd be able to say that but that came from also acquiring skills and mitigating as much risk as possible so that I can do them successfully and safely because I have a lot of big goals outside of you know just climbing these mountains I really I really feel most of my passion lies in serving my community um, and these retreats, and so there's a huge motivation for me to, you know, challenge myself and get to get to really see what the human body is capable of and what we're capable of as, as human beings. But I think it's equally as important to, you know, come home and continue to fulfill all the other dreams that I have for my life and, and still live a long life. Um, mm. So there's there's a bit of a fine line in these <laughs> high adrenaline sports on that, but. But it is all about mitigating risk and, and arming yourself with knowledge and skills um, and it makes them much more enjoyable because you're not just, you know, crapping your pants the whole time.
0: A hundred percent. And for those listeners who don't know, what is the Grand Slam and how did you progress from, you know, going out into nature to then wanting to, you know, what, what, what kind of like, what were the little steps that made you want to d- achieve it?
1: Yeah. So, I've always been a bit of an extreme person, right, from a young age. Well, especially with athletics, I've always really enjoyed um, challenging myself physically. So I was in elite gymnastics in my youth, and then I had to leave that because of a a back injury. Uh, And then I got into sports like lacrosse. I was actually nationally ranked in badminton. Uh, And then I got into some more extreme sports like uh, dirt biking, and then uh, backcountry snowmobiling, um, and when I got into backcountry snowmobiling, is really when I fell in love with the alpine, um, and that was in a, in an extreme way. You know, we were dealing with avalanches and things like that. Uh, but snowmobiling is a very time consuming and a very expensive sport. Not that mountaineering isn't. It's Definitely far worse, <laughs> um, but uh, I think right from a young age, I always had this intrigue with Everest. I, I don't know what it was um, about it. I don't. I don't think that I always thought I'd want to climb it. I just was always very interested by it. Uh, and then as I got into the Alpine and that I got more into like hiking, climbing, um, and and though really starting to challenge myself in those capacities. Um, you know, this is kind of cheesy, and I have an interesting story about it, but I, I'm sure a lot of people have now seen the movie 14 Peaks, uh, where Nims die climbs all 14 8,000ers in like six months, which I think that, that record's actually already been broken by uh, Kristen Halera from... Norway or I'm not sure where if she's from Norway, but I follow her. She's like for, for women in Mountaineers, that's just an awesome great right, good for her. Yeah, like good for her. It was it was so cool because I watched her try and do it the first time last year and then to not be able to get her permit for Shisha Pegma, people probably have are like, What is Shisha Pegma? Why are you speaking Chinese? Um <laughs> if you just go and you can follow her. Go on her Instagram, she's crazy inspiring. Um, but watching that movie 14 Peaks is really like I never like I've always kind of I don't know I dabbled in like watching vlogs and whatever beforehand, but I watched that movie and I and and when he kind of said that everything anything is possible, I was just like you know you're not wrong, um, and I just like really wanted to pursue something cool and so I loved mountains and I just kind of was like okay, hey, well what's something something I already read about the seven summits I have a book of adventure, this adventure book that I read and that introduced me to it maybe 10 years ago, uh, what the seven summits was. And, and, um, so yeah, I just kind of, after watching 14 peaks, I was like, whatever, I really want to climb the seven summits. Um, and then as far as the North and South pole go where the grand slam came in, I just was like, if I'm already doing seven, I might as well make it nine, (laughs) (laughs) uh, you know, and I, uh, I kind of looked into it, and I realized no no Canadian woman had ever done it before, um, and I was like, well, that'd be pretty cool. You know, it'd be cool to have the record. The record to me is not like the make or break point of it. I just think it would be cool to be able to say I've been to the highest and the poles of the of the Earth, but I'll never ever ever. I'm not a water person, so there's no bottom of the Earth for me. <laughs> like,
0: um, what was the what was the submarine that just went kabloop?
1: Yeah, uh, I don't remember what it's called, but I—I yeah. I don't want to be. I—I <laughs> was like two feet underwater snorkeling in Mexico last week, and I was like, "I'm per- I'm terrified." <laughs> We're good here. <laughs> I like to go up, not down. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah. So, uh, to kind of come back to what the Explorers Grand Slam is—is is it's completing the highest continental peaks, and then the North and South Pole by travel of foot. So um, I'll kind of just list them off for those who maybe don't know. Uh, so in North America, the highest mountain is Denali, which is in Alaska. Uh, in South America, we have Aconcagua, which is in Argentina. Uh, and then we have Mount Vincent Massif, which is in Antarctica. We have Everest in Asia. Uh, Karsten's Pyramid. um, I think it's called Punjakaya or something like that in in the traditional Indonesian language. So it's in Indonesia. There's an argument there um, that there's essentially a hill in Australia that there's some arguments about where the continental divide is. Um, And so uh, what is that one called? There, I, I, I'm blanking on that for a minute, but there's an argument for the one in uh, Oceania. And then Europe, you have um, Mount Elbrus, which is in Russia. And then Africa, you have Kilimanjaro. So those are your seven summits. Uh, And then for the North and South Poles, uh, like I said, you can't just take a helicopter there. You actually have to uh, tour there, whether it's by snowshoe or ski um so i think i'm gonna opt for the cross-country skiing because it's just a little bit quicker (laughs) 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 than a full snowshoe i love snowshoeing don't get me wrong but um it's our i already uh i'm gonna do the last degree as well there's a couple different variations that you can do like you can go all the way from the coastlines um but those are like 60 65 70 day expeditions which sound awesome um until you're about 15 days into it
0: and you realize you forgot your deodorant
1: (laughs) yeah and there's just you know you're in like a winter apocalypse so yeah it's really really beautiful don't get me wrong and I always I'm like wanting to go back when I'm here and then I'm kind of like I wish I had a bed when I'm there so (laughs) (laughs) it is what it is it's kind of the realities, but yeah, so that's kind of what I'm trying to do. So I've already been very fortunate to have success successfully climbed uh, two of the mountains. So I've already completed Aconcagua, which is the second highest of all of them, uh, the one in Argentina, and then I just uh, climbed Kilimanjaro in September. So um, next one I'm training for right now is Denali. Um, I'm not going to be doing that one this year. I'm going to I'm aiming for spring of 2025. Uh, The reason why I'm not doing it this year and I'm not really doing any mountains this year is I'm focusing on community work, running retreats, fundraising, that kind of stuff this year. And I also really want to focus on my training. Uh, So Denali, a cool thing about it that might surprise a lot of people is it's actually considered the hardest of the seven summits because um, you don't have any sort of assistance on the mountain Uh, whereas in, on Everest or even on Aconcagua, you know, you have the option for porter services and you have Sherpa services, you have mules, yaks, you have all these different resources to help you, um, to really, it's, it's quite a luxurious experience. Like when I was in Argentina, I climbed with a company called Grajalis Expeditions. So if anybody is uh, interested, I loved my experience with them. They're one of the main logistical services on the mountain, uh, so you're getting the best of the best. And uh I felt like royalty, you know, like there you're we're eating, you know, barbecued steaks for dinner with glasses <laughs> of wine at base camp and you know, everything you could possibly imagine. Um I mean, aside from like flushing toilets. <laughs> but uh that's
0: just your left hand, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man. Like, I got some stories from that mountain, like, it gets weirder and weirder as you go up, and people get, you know, things don't sit right, and it's just, that's, like, one of the many battles of high-altitude mountaineering, to be honest with you, that I don't think a lot of people think about is, like, the whole bathroom situation, because you're also trying to keep the mountain clean, you can't just, you know, go wherever. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. so uh but with with denali in alaska there's not no assistance or anything so it's the most physically demanding um mountain of all of them you're you're toting probably about 150 pounds of gear like 120 to 150 pounds of gear um all on your own because it takes about uh, i want to say like 18 16 to 18 days Uh, on the mountain. So you're carrying, you know, all your, your tents, your food, your water filtration systems, all your different layers and, you know, snowshoes, skis, maybe, uh, mountaineering boots, crampons, ice axes, you know, you have all this stuff, uh, and you need to have all your supplies, your emergency first aid, your all that stuff with you. Um, and nobody's there to carry it for you. So you can be, walking straight with your sled, your hundred pound sled dangling down the side of the mountain that's just dragging along. Right. And so I really want to make sure, um, I took a year to really physically and mentally prepare myself for that. Um, because if I'm successful with that, that's when, uh, if I'm successful next year with the um, the following year, I'm going to attempt Everest. Hopefully, uh, that's kind of pending getting sponsorships, other things, uh, Everest is like a hundred thousand dollars to climb. So there's, there's that side of it. There's the other challenges involved with mountaineering when you're not, you know, a banker or something, (laughs) uh, (laughs) which is, you know, it's the reality of, of Everest. That's a lot of the people that are clients there. It's just adventurous souls with who are very fortunate with their, uh, financial situations. Um, but yeah, so I really just wanted to make sure I was prepared for that because um, I think it's important and it's uh, the most respectful way to go about it. I don't want to be that person who goes onto one of these mountains unprepared and then expect other people to put their own lives at risks to like, help me out. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. Um so. Denali's taller than Everest, right?
1: It's not taller than Everest Denali. Everest, well, Everest is the highest mountain in the world. So um, the difference is, is Everest. So Everest is like 8,800 and change meters above sea level. Mm -hmm. Denali is like 6,000 and change. So there's almost like three kilometers from sea level in difference from the summit of Denali to the summit of Everest, but Denali your base camp, when you're at the base of the mountain, I believe you're only at about 17,000 feet. So math-wise, you're at like 3... 5,200 meters? I think I'm thinking wrong. Maybe it's 7,000 feet. Because hmm. I think it's only about 2,000 meters uh, at the base. Whereas Everest, you're at 5,500 meters at base camp.
0: Uh, okay.
1: So it's like the difference from... You're a lot you're starting from a lot closer to sea level and going up, whereas on Everest, there's a lot of different things like they're they're totally different game plans yeah. when you're going into those mountains. Denali, you're not really doing rotations on the mountain. So for those who don't know what a rotation is, it's an acclimatization schedule. Um, you need to acclimatize the higher you go, uh, the less dense the oxygen is. Uh, and so you, your body needs to be able to adapt to a, a lower ratio of oxygen by increasing red blood cells, um, vas- vasodilation, things like that. Um, and so you go and sleep at high camps uh, on Everest, and then you come down, and then you go up higher, and then you come down, and that allows your body to go up, and then you come down and recover, and then you keep going higher Uh on Denali, it's not high enough where you're getting into what they call the death zone, which is anything mm-hmm. higher than 7,000 meters. Um, so that's typically where 7,000, a little bit over, I want to say it's over 25,000 feet. So it's like 7,000 and change um, meters. You, you, there's no longer enough oxygen where you can survive up there for a long period of time. Um, Your body can't adapt for long, long longevity survival at that elevation, uh, which is all the 8,000ers in Nepal, Pakistan, those mountains over there. There's nothing like that outside of Asia. Um, The highest mountain outside of Asia is at Concagua, and it's 6,962 meters. Um, So unless people are experiencing altitude sickness, they're typically not on oxygen. Um, so how that changes when, it ta- when we're talking about Denali is instead of doing rotations up and down, typically you won't sleep at a high camp. What you'll do is you'll let, maybe do a gear, gear carry up and then you'll come back down in the same day and sleep at a low camp and then maybe rest. And you hide caches of food as you're dropping stuff higher and coming back down. If that, so yeah. instead, of, instead of, it's basically the difference of six weeks of climbing wow <laughs> to be honest um everest is about a, a 60 day like two month expedition and denali is like two and a half three weeks uh just because of the adaptations your body have to go through aren't nearly as intense um so yeah that's kind then...
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> of summary of it
0: <laughs> yeah and being a a worry where uh or you know like you know, adverting or making sure you don't take too much risk. Um, How else do you confront and manage the fear that come with such a high risk adventures?
1: I mean, some of it's just facing fear, to be honest with you. Uh, There are some things that, you know, I just, um, and I think that's kind of why it's helped me so much with my mental health uh is just it's helped me understand that there are just some things that are out of your control um and you need to be able to process those and move on with your life because you had you you couldn't change it even if you tried uh so yeah the biggest thing i do is just i build the skill sets i have because it removes the fear aspect like the scary parts for me are it's the fear of the unknown and stuff I haven't done before, stuff I'm unfamiliar with. Um, so just as an example, this summer I'm going and spending a week on on Mount Baker doing uh, some crevasse rescue and um, different like glacial travel experience stuff. I, I honestly don't have that much experience on glaciers yet. Uh, and so before going on to Denali, which is a completely glaciated peak, I wanted to make sure, um, I knew how to self-arrest if I, if one of my team members fell in, I want to learn how to rescue. And I want to also learn to know, like, if I am the one falling into the crevasse, what's my, what are, what should I be doing to make myself have the best chance of survival in that situation? Because those are real situations that I'll be facing, um, Mm -hmm. I also, uh, as I'm doing my physical training, I really, I really try and put myself into a mental situation, like into a mental state that I, of, of almost fear or panic. Like I try and think about the things that are scary about the mountain while I'm doing it because, um, there's so much strain on your body and on your heart specifically when you're doing this, uh, kind of activity. And to, I really... I really feel confident that I have the ability to control what my body's doing with the right mindset. And so I try and think about the bad situations that I can witness on a mountain while I'm doing the physical exertion to practice controlling panic, uh, controlling my heart rate and those kind of things. Um, and doing that has actually served me well. Uh, I don't know how, I don't want to go too dark on, on, on the podcast here, but, uh, even on Akron Cagua, you know, there was there was incidents happening around me of people getting really sick, having heart attacks, um, bad accidents and bad falls uh, that were happening around me. Um, and so it just kind of helped me be able to process those things in the moment and not feel panic, even when maybe everybody around me was panicking. Uh, I reminded myself that I'm in control of what I'm doing and right now I'm OK Um, and that's what I needed to focus on at that time to keep myself safe and to prevent me from being the one in that position.
0: Yeah. Do you, do you find that's been the most applicable lesson that you've been able to apply from, you know, your highest peaks to everyday life challenges now?
1: Um, yeah, I definitely think the controlling the emotional side of it has been the, the the most applicable for me personally. Um, I think anyone who knows me and I, you know, I have no shame in saying this, but I'm also, I'm proud of how far I've come. I haven't always, you know, been, I've been a bit temperamental (laughs) in my life. Uh, I haven't always been able to handle, you know, anger and fear, or um, I've always been a little bit insecure. Uh, which has caused kind of harsher reactions. I think people can relate to that a lot. Uh, and I think even people who maybe aren't that way see it when somebody's reacting out of insecurity. Um, and so, yeah, I think just being able to control my emotions and also the confidence that I gained from realizing, you know, how much I'm able to do Um and a little bit of just getting older with life uh, has all all really helped me for the most part. Like, I think just, yeah, the emotional control, because it's hard when you're, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example in my life of, you, I guess, road rage. Let's, let's use road rage as an <laughs> example. <laughs> I think that's a common thing, you know, like someone cuts you off or, you know, whatever it is on the road, I think a lot of people can sometimes just get really fed up really quickly. And that's something I've actually seen have one of the, it's a small thing, but it's something I'm proud of that it shifted to like, it doesn't bother me. And I'm like, happily, you know, happily let people in. And I know that seems like a silly uh, reference, but um, I think it's important to, you know, when you're even in the quiet, like even when you're by yourself in your own car that you're able to still continue to practice those things, if that makes
0: sense. 100%. And it's, you know, something that is so tiny, but we kind of like, it's quickly, like, you know, when we have bad days or bad things, if we continue to focus on them and let them like grow, then we just notice all the other negatives in our life where it's like, you know, if you can see it, process it and just let it go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it takes away from you having a good day. Like you're giving, you're giving away your, you're giving away energy to, to what, you know? So I I think it's just important to like focus on like how, like, you know, down the road, if you're looking back, are you going to be like, oh, wow, I'm so glad I I got mad at all those people who cut me off? Or are you going to be like, oh yeah, like. I'm so glad that nothing bothered me. None of these minor things bothered me. And I got to really enjoy the few years I get here, you know?
0: Well, I, and I, I always find it fascinating because it's like, you know, we rush, 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 but it's like, you know, you're not letting that person in or, you know, you cutting someone off or, you know, or someone's go, cutting you off and then slowing right up. It's like, you're not going fast enough to like, you know what I mean? Like it's an extra minute or two, like.
1: Exactly. And I mean.
0: I still get it. I, I still sometimes get annoyed and then I'm like, I need to check myself, but.
1: For sure. And I'm, I, like I said, I'm the same way, but it's just come a long way for me. And I just, I don't want to spend, I don't want to spend time of my life being mad over that kind of stuff or sad about that stuff anymore. You know, I, I, especially as somebody who, I I really struggled with depression and anxiety um, for really as long as I can remember. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one of the big realizations that I had to come to was, if I'm going to get better from this, I have to take control. Like, It's kind of a harsh reality of dealing with these things and you can have the support systems and you can have even, and I think this is something, one of the biggest things I took from, from counseling is I have to choose how I'm going to look at it. And I really have to force it on myself. I have to, I'm allowed to feel something. But then once I've processed it, it's that letting go aspect where I have the choice to now let it go and move on. And it's hard. And it takes a lot of practice. And it takes a lot of time. And I still get really worked up. um, And I hold on to things. And it's hard. But I think it's something. I think it's something that's really important that um, only you have control over it. Like, the things you're sad about and the things that are, are weighing on you and stressing you out. And I, I understand that there's also, you know, a chemical component to this. Um, but for years I struggled with this and I never, I always was like, I'm never going to get better. This is never, I'm never going to feel normal. I'm never going to have happiness. I'm never going to feel stable. Um but I don't necessarily feel like that anymore. And I think a lot of that has to do with just how much work I've like really put into it and like how much focus and intentional, I've tried everything. Like I've, I have I meditate and I've changed my diet and I think about my water consumption and like it's all those little things uh, and that I've kind of, does that, do you understand what I'm trying to say? I'm, oh I'm, trying, to, I'm trying not to ramble, but I think it's important to like the self-accountability side of it too. Like well, no one, nobody can save you.
0: One. Well, and, and the other thing too, on, you know, the self-accountability, like I have ADD, my, my accountability now for anything is I am going to fail this at one point in time. It's, you know, not feeling bad about me coming off, you know, 30 days, 60 days, you know, 120 days of whatever I'm doing. And then be like, "Oh, I, you know, I suck." It's like, no, we all have an off day. We all have this. We just have to come back to it.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And have you read the book Atomic Habits?
1: I haven't actually.
0: So it talks about the the main the main like it talks about habits and you know how you like repeat it and it becomes like this. But the big thing that I took away from that book is being one one percent better. Um, So I talked about the British cycling team, um, I think in the 60s or something, they had like never won any races or anything. And then they brought a new coach in and he focused on these little tiny things that, you know, seem so minuscule that they wouldn't matter. So like they painted all their trucks, the inside white, so they could see more dust when they're training, they put on warm, when they weren't training, they had like warmer shorts. So then their muscles stayed more relaxed or whatever. And like all these little things, like you say, like, you know, water intake, diet change, exercise like these little things that you know we don't think can have this big impact had this massive impact and then they win the olympics like four years or like they win all these races like four years in a row and they had never won anything before
1: right well yeah that's like a great example of that you know and um it's it's tough because we live in this world where every block there's some kind of i'm sorry for anyone who eats a lot of like McDonald's or A&W, but like it's everywhere and like I don't care how they market it it's it's never going to be as good for you and I think we all know this and we lie to ourselves but it's never going to be as good for you as like a like a fresh home cooked meal like no it, it's just never going to be that way um and it's those things are important like those are the things that are regulating our hormones those are the things that are you know regulating our entire body and yeah. it does make a difference and i actually think that's really cool that they were wearing like different shorts for more muscle relaxation like those those are i don't know i like i love biology so
0: yeah yeah they weren't different shorts they were just thicker so then it kept it really helped them retain yeah the they, yeah
1: like, that, it, makes uh, it. it makes sense but yeah it makes
0: like sense. if you're if you're one percent better every day for the next 365 days you are 37 times better than what you were when you started
1: yeah 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 but it's about consistency and you just have to hold true to it and if you do it for yourself
0: well and i think a lot of people like you know well actually i don't know i i've been so active (coughs) that i don't remember starting things that well i mean i guess with mountain biking that was new and i started it um but like for some reason i feel like when we go to the gym we usually and like you know cardio or whatever it's like we want to do like 30 minutes or like an hour and a half and it's like if you can't if you can't see yourself doing this for the next 20 years you should probably adjust it a little bit and then add on to it rather than like you know yeah i'm gonna go to the gym five days a week an hour every day like most people can't achieve that so why do we you know, put ourselves in a situation where we're going to fail sometimes.
1: Well, exactly. It has to be um, achievable. And I think, too, it's kind of shifting the focus of your time to, like, make that time for yourself, too, is really hard. Um, I think, you know, even me, I, I definitely have been struggling honestly recently with being in the gym because I am a trainer. I spend like hours upon hours upon hours upon hours in a gym. Like I am not motivated to be in Just a gym any longer. <laughs> and like working out. So I mix it up and I, I I just – whatever I can do sometimes, like, I will change the scenery and I will do it however. Like, I'll throw a backpack with 70 pounds in it, and I'll go for a walk in the River Valley, and I'll do a bunch of stairs. Or, like, maybe I'll go to the rec center, and I'll, like, tread water for an hour. And, like, I just will mix it up. So, like, if I really am not feeling – I'm just going to try something new and fun, like, even I'll still go play badminton. I'll try and convince my boyfriend to play badminton with me sometimes (laughs) – so a lot of the time he says no. To be fair, I mean it's a, it's not for everyone. I get it, and also I was like nationally ranked, so I kick his ass, and that doesn't feel good for him. But
0: I should introduce <laughs> you to my friend Groove. Um, he was ranked, uh, I, or he played Team Canada, I think, or oh, Team Alberta sweet. for badminton. I totally,
1: I totally would be down for some badminton friends because I go to the rec center sometimes because it's just kind of like everything is there. I'll go on the stair climber or I'll do whatever I need to do so that I've like gotten that movement in today. Cause I'm always going to feel better after I just need to like mix it up. And I think that's why uh, community sports are actually awesome because it's like beer league sports. It's fun. It's low pressure, but it's a way that you get to be outside most of the time, socializing and being active all at once. And so I'm like a big fan of stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Community bike rides.
1: Yeah. Community skiing. Guys- the all the all the well, I mean, I know I only think I made it out to like one or two. I think only one actually of the mountain biking that you were hosting um, last summer, but that was a blast for me. Like, I know it was like it was 6 a.m. I was like, perfect, this is exactly what I need. It's like <laughs> right, right on my way to work. It was great. Like, I love that yeah. kind of stuff. It and I like it. The thing that you, uh, I really have a lot of respect for you is I was really nervous because I. I think I put a lot of pressure on myself because I played so many sports that I feel like people have these expectations that I'm just going to kick ass at everything, and I definitely don't. Um, And so I was really nervous because I had never really ridden. I just bought my bike for like for the first time since I was a kid in the spring of last year, and so that was my first time really hitting trails at all. And I was like, not. I was nervous, honestly, initially when I got there. I was like, oh my god, like I'm going to be making these guys wait for me <laughs> but <laughs> it was fine like i had a blast everybody was so nice and yeah. i think that's a, such an important thing is just in, the people that you go with can make such a big difference about your commitment to it so yeah thanks for that because that was a lot of fun <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course i'm a, I'm a, well like right? i, I didn't know mountain biking people showed me they could have easily left me like i don't know I don't know what what mountain climbing is like, but like skiing and mountain biking, like there seems to be certain certain segments of it where they like, they seem to enjoy gatekeeping. Like, you know, we call them Jerry's and we do all this other stuff and we make fun of people for like the gear we use. And it's like, who cares if they're getting out there and having fun? Like that's number one.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's awesome that you're kind of like breaking down those barriers for people and you're creating a space in the mountain biking community and i'm i would imagine even the skiing community and a bunch of other communities that you're involved in um because that's what i'm trying to do and if you've ever been mountain climbing you should probably come on one of the retreats i think
0: that would be fun when's the next one
1: um so we because of our lovely you know warm weather we're having i actually uh (laughs) we had to cancel our one just because um when the river's not frozen it adds like an extra 10 kilometers each way on an already 20 kilometer round, like each way trip. So it'd be 30 kilometers each way in one single day. And I just, for everybody's safety and well-being, especially because um, I can only screen so much people's skill level before going out there just to be safe. uh, We're going to postpone that until probably next winter. Um, So I'm just putting together, I'm just trying to finalize some details. It was tough because I went away uh, to Mexico last week, but I'm just finalizing. I'm going to do a small one in Elk Island Park, hopefully uh, at the end of March. Um, It's probably just going to be over a weekend, like a Friday to a Sunday. So it's not really mountaineering, but it is a way to get like, get out for people who maybe want to have an intro into winter camping. Um, It'll be a really good option. And I just want to, you know, Fireside chats and relaxing and decompressing. Uh, And then we're going to be doing uh, a big one over May long weekend. So um, I'm going to have those, those details coming out soon because it's going to be probably like a Thursday through to Sunday or I don't know. I got to look and see if it's the Friday or the Monday. It's the Um, Monday. It's the Monday. So it's probably going to be like a Friday through Monday kind of thing. Um, So people might I want to make sure people are able to like get the time off if they want to come. Uh, but I'll be opening registration for that probably before the end of this month. Uh, and that one's going to be a bigger one where we're going to do, um, Mount fry it. I I think I got to also look into like permitting and there's a couple other things going on there. I'm kind of switching it up from what my original plan is. I'm going with the flow of life's, you know, (laughs) lemons that they're giving me, uh, (laughs) But yeah, I'm gonna have a a a one on May long weekend, and that's gonna be a really fun one and uh, a bit of a bigger one because May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, And so, for anybody who who's interested, like these retreats are completely—we cover all the expenses of the retreats, um, aside from really just getting to where we need to meet you. Uh, And then they're open to everybody. So anybody who wants to. have an experience where you get to go in the back country um, and just decompress. Uh, we cover everything, we get everything set up. Um, I have my certifications to take people back there. Uh, and it's a really good time. And it's just something I, that we really feel, and by we, I mean me and the three people that help me, my three volunteers, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I love you guys.
0: Team <laughs> <laughs> um, numbers are so important.
1: Oh, man. They really, they make it so much better. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we want to provide these because as much as, you know, even people, for us, for example, we live so close to the mountains, but it's really not always the easiest to get there. And so we really want to provide experiences for people who are kind of having a hard time and need need that escape and need that reflection, like, please reach out to me on Instagram through our website. My email's accessible pretty much everywhere. Like, Or you can come on our mailing list for any of our other events. Uh, but yeah, you should definitely check them out.
0: Yeah, that'd be sweet. Always sounds like... A, I was excited for the March. I'm like, oh, we can talk about it. And then you're like, the weather. Yeah. Oh, no, I forgot.
1: Yeah, there's like no snow. But... Um, <laughs> What he's talking about, which I'm hoping to host next year, is uh, on Mount Fryatt, there, there's an Alpine Club of Canada hut, uh, and it's a beautiful snowshoe. And the reason why I like going there, this is the one I'm potentially going to do in May. It's either going to be there or Jacques Lake, depending on weather and conditions. Um, but going out there, so there's something about being in the mountains when there's when they're snow covered. Um, it's just so peaceful because the snow creates a bit of a soundproofing for the valleys and uh it's just a little extra it's a little extra special for me uh and I think it really for people who have the capacity to hike that long in snow on snowshoes um I think it's a really awe-inspiring and Potentially life changing experience for some people, and I want, I want, I want people to be out there. I want people to want to learn how to get out there themselves because I think the world would be so much happier if more people hiked
0: <laughs> and and had access to <laughs> um, mental health stuff.
1: Yeah, like, absolutely. The um, amount of
0: people that. But but, like, I'm always surprised when like, you know, I'll talk openly about it because like I've seen a counselor since probably 24 because, you know, with ADD, you're like, why do I feel so lazy? Why do I feel this? So like, yeah. And, you know, it's just nice to have someone where you can sometimes dump and for sure let it go.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the positive thing is we are starting to see change in resources available. Um, Obviously, Shout out to Cornerstone. So if you're in Edmonton or Northern Alberta and you're looking, that's a great place to to reach out to because they'll be able to help you out uh with subsidized counseling. But even the things like better help, um there's another, I want to say it's drive through that just opened up in the in the city. Dive through. D- yeah.
0: Is it, is it dive? Yeah, dive through, dive through, yeah.
1: Dive through. Yeah. I was like, it's something like that. Um, they give you
0: free stickers. I, w- I went there a couple of times. Um, then I went back to my other therapist because my therapist there left, but yeah, neither here nor there, but they also expanded into St. Albert. So there's a new location coming up. So white Avenue and then St. Albert for other people.
1: Yeah. So there's tons of resources uh, and I have a bunch of them listed on Uh, the Summits for Serotonin website. So it's just summitsforserotonin.org. You can go there and I have a list of resources on there. We we also have, I have to update all of our events page because all the events are kind of getting flip-flopped here, but um, we keep updates on there. uh, And then, yeah, resources are available for both emergency and non-emergency situations if you don't know where else to look. So, Mm
0: -hmm. and mental health co-pilots is a good one to, if you have no idea where to navigate um, you can apply to that and then they'll help you find a counselor that, or a, a psychologist or therapist, yeah, therapist, I think is the proper term, um, yeah. to match to you. Cause they'll ask you questions of like, you know, what is important to you. And, you know, cause there's a lot of, a lot of therapy out there, but you don't always know how to find them or whatever. So that's a good yeah. yeah.
1: Exactly. Awesome. But
0: as we are coming close to this hour, there's a few other things I want to chat about. Um, I'm not sure if you listened to the last episode. Um, I haven't listened to it yet, That's okay. But we had just just the maker come on. And so now I started asking the person who was before um, what question they would like to ask you. So she wants to know what's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you on the mountains.
1: Oh, my. (laughs) So many things. (laughs) It's like not so... You really have to get over anything that's going to be embarrassing because, <laughs> um, oh man, let me just, um, hmm. I guess like the most embarrassing, I, don't, I really, <laughs> this is a tough <laughs> one. <laughs> um, I don't know that this is like a podcast, I'm going to sugarcoat this a little bit. But in the high camps on Aconcagua, uh, at camp three, which is the highest camp, there was a Norwegian team that was at camp three the night before us. Not really sure uh, <laughs> what happened, but like you have a toilet tent with a five-gallon bucket and a toilet seat, and then you poop into a bag. Mm-hmm. That's typically how you do it. No different um, than yeah, backcountry. Yeah, no peeing in the bag, though, because you got to carry the bag down, and you don't want yeah. liquid in, in the bag. Um, so I'm not really sure what happened, but the entire tent was covered in body rejection. <laughs> Whether it was coming out the top or bottom, I'm, I honestly couldn't tell you. Uh, <laughs> anyways, as a result, we couldn't use the, we couldn't use the bathroom tent, or at least I specifically chose not to, um, which meant I had to go poop in a bag around the corner of a rock. <laughs> the rock I chose, uh, turned to be actually... A rock around the corner to the main path to camp. So, <laughs> had a few people out. watching. I had a few witnesses. <laughs>
0: yeah. Nice. Well, thank you for sharing. I appreciate that. Um, then a couple of questions. Who would you like to see on future podcasts? Ooh.
1: Um. That is a good question. You know. I would probably like to see, I know that, you know, Liana who's, yes. I think it would be really cool to see her on the podcast.
0: Yeah. She's rad. And for people who don't know, seven summits, co-founder, um,
1: Liana and, Carrier. Pardon? Her name's Liana Carrier.
0: Yeah. And, and- go, go in, Um, she's got a pretty cool, um, yeah she's got
1: some cool stuff going on i think she's uh trying to be the first woman to in one shot do the pan-american cycling so from the northern point of alaska to the southern point of south america so that would be i think they're doing that like right away
0: actually actually um as i was thinking about this uh april 9th 7 p.m she's coming on oh Hopefully, it's perfect. It um, <laughs> and then now, your fun part. So, since Jess got to ask you a question, um, Julie from World Ride, um, they're a nonprofit in the States that helps women's in a few different countries um, get out on mountain bikes because it's super empowering. What question would you like to ask her?
1: Um, what was the. Mm, most important lesson you learned in the process of starting and going through the motions of your nonprofit.
0: Awesome. Well, you'll have to turn back next week. And (laughs) and lastly, for those listening, what advice would you give them to have more good days?
1: Um, I would say don't sweat the small stuff and follow your dreams and don't let anybody tell you that they're too crazy because I promise that they're not.
0: <laughs> nope. And if we, if we had some people think their dreams were too crazy, we probably wouldn't have the light bulb and some other crazy stuff out there or that we take. Bread. Bread.
1: We wouldn't have sliced bread.
0: Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't have the quote. What, oh, what is it? I forgot the sliced bread quote. Oh, well, we'll figure that out (laughs) the next episode. Um, But thank you so much, Jackie, for joining us tonight.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me. See you guys. Okay. Bye.